You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for today. We're going to go over Game 1 of the NBA Finals, won by the Denver Nuggets. There is some information regarding John Morant. The Boston Celtics make a decision regarding head coach Joe Mazzulla. And the SEC makes a decision on what they're going to do about conference games. It's not going to be a very long podcast today because I'll admit I'm tired. I didn't spend too much time looking at a lot of these stories, but I did watch the whole basketball game. So we'll start with that momentarily. So Denver wins it, 104-93. I was on the heat in the first half. I was on the heat and the under for the game and lost both of those. So that was wonderful. Um, Look, the Heat shot terrible from three-point range. Uh, Denver didn't shoot all that great either. Heat were 13 of 39 from three-point range. Denver was 8 of 27. So Denver barely shot, uh, just shot a little under 30%. Heat shot 33%. But the biggest thing in this game was the fact that the two guys who absolutely destroyed the Boston Celtics, Max Struess and Caleb Martin, combined for three points and one of 17 from the field, including... 1 of 11 from three-point range. I mean, that's the difference in the game. Jimmy Butler didn't really play all that well. 13 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. That's not a Jimmy Butler game. That's not playoff Jimmy. But Caleb Martin and Max Struess, who looked like world beaters and first-team All-NBA players against the Boston Celtics, they come up against the Denver Nuggets, and they can't hit the broadside of a barn. Max Struess was 0 for 10 from the field, 0 for 9 from three-point range. Caleb Martin... I don't know what his deal was. I don't know if they just had a better defender on him or what, but one for seven from the field, took seven shots. Once again, Nikola Jokic, dominant, another triple-double. The guy gets triple-doubles in his sleep. 27 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists. Dominated the game. Jamal Murray had 26 points. They had 53 of the 104, so they had over 50% of the Denver Nuggets points. And when that happens, very tough team to beat. I mean, very tough team to beat. They are still undefeated at home. And I think a lot of people that watched that game last night are probably like, Jesus, this is going to be a sweep. Look, I'm not saying it might not be a sweep, but the Denver Nuggets, it's starting to look like, remember I said, I was like, I just don't think they're going to win every home game in the playoffs. It's actually starting to look like it now that they are almost going to be, I mean, it's going to take a perfect game by Miami to beat Denver on their home court. I think they can keep it close, but Denver seems to execute way better down the stretch than anybody. Yes, they had three close games against the Lakers, but they executed down the stretch better than the Lakers did, and that's why they won. So looking at it now, Jimmy Butler can't go 13.7 rebounds, 7 assists in Game 2. Jimmy Butler has to put up double that. He has to put up 25 to 30 points. For Miami to win. Caleb Martin and Max Struess clearly can't go 1 of 17 from the field if Miami wants any chance uh, to win their game, uh, to win the game. It's just not going to happen. You know, Kyle Lowry played well off the bench, and the Highsmith guy, I don't even know his first name, I always forget. He was great, 18 points off the bench. He was the third leading scorer in the game for the Heat. But it just seemed like, once again, Denver gets any shot that they want. And... The only reason it was remotely close is because Miami went on a little bit of run there in the fourth quarter. But when Jokic dominates like he does, and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. both score in double figures, they're a tough team to beat. I don't know who's going to do it. 
But now they're up 1-0 in the NBA Finals, and one game does not mean anything when it comes to the next game. Everyone will look at this and be like, huh, probably a double-digit win in game two for them. It might, we, it might be, but I think Miami can certainly play better. Denver shot 50% from the field. Miami shot 40% and missed 26 three-pointers. You know, that's not, that's not going to get it done in the NBA Finals. Not even close. So you're looking at the game. First off, it seemed like Denver won by more than 11. If that Miami Heat player drives to the basket and scores an uncontested layup, this game is either a push or I would have lost anyway because I had Miami plus 8.5. So that would have been a 9-point loss for Miami, but a lot of people had it at 9. It would have been a push. It just seemed like they were down 16 to 18, 16 to 20 points all of the third and fourth quarter. I had no idea they were even that close in the game, but I needed them to come down and hit a meaningless three-pointer on that last possession. And some guy who literally has the same name as Nikola Jokic, I think his name is Nikola Dovich or something, uh, he, he drove the lane and just fumbled the ball, got knocked off his leg, and that was the game. And Denver ran the clock out. So it was even amazing Miami had a chance to cover this game, but that would have been pure luck because they didn't deserve to cover that game. They were, they were getting beat soundly during that game, and it was never really all that close. They cut it to – they got it to nine in the fourth quarter. That was the closest they got. They never even got it under nine. So, um, But 104-93, not a very high-scoring game. Went under the posted total by over 20 points. So I don't know if we can look at it game two. Is it a bounce back or is this going to be a lower scoring series? Don't know right now. But Max Strews can't go over nine from three point range and over 10 from the field. They will not win a game this series if that happens. I mean, unless Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Caleb Martin all go for over 20 every game, but that's probably not going to happen. Denver's just, they're playing better. Than anybody else in the playoffs, I've said it all throughout the playoffs, they are playing better than anybody in the playoffs, so it shouldn't be all too surprising that they won game one. Moving on, um, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, said they've had some more information come down on John Morant. Didn't fill anybody in on what exactly it was, but did say, hey, we're going to wait until after the NBA Finals to announce anything in regards to any sort of suspension. He is going to get suspended. His first suspension lasted eight games. He's getting... I told you what it was, or I thought what it would be a couple weeks ago. I think it's going to be half the season. I think he's going to get the first half of the 2023-2024 season. He should. You can't carry a gun in an Instagram Live video, meet with the commissioner, get an eight-game suspension, and then do the same exact thing two months later and not expect a stiffer penalty. So that's coming, but it's coming after the NBA Finals, according to NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. The Boston Celtics, they decided to keep head coach Joe Mazzulla. And I guess because they made that run and won three in a row. But it's tough to say. If they would have gotten swept out of that series, I don't think they would have brought him back. I think they're using that as a way to be like, okay, we'll give him one more year. 
Because let's face it, he was thrust into a very tough role. He wasn't allowed to pick his assistant coaching staff. He's only the coach of the Boston Celtics because last year's coach in his first year with the team and took him to the NBA Finals had a scandal involving someone in the uh, someone in the organization. I don't know if it was an affair or a relationship, whatever the case may be. Well, it definitely was an affair because he's married and or he he had a he was with somebody and um had a had a had a sexual relationship with somebody in the office. We it's very weird story that Ime Odoka. We still don't really know the details behind it. But he was fired. I can't remember the exact date, but it was close to when the season was starting. So Joe Mazzula had to take over, and that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're not a lead assistant. So they have that that they have to worry about. And I don't know. I'm not really sure if he's a good head coach or not. But if they don't at least get back to the Eastern Conference Finals next year, he's probably gone. The SEC has had this thing going on where back and forth and back and forth, they're determining should we go to an eight-game conference schedule or a nine-game conference schedule. There's pros and cons to each one, but yesterday they decided uh, in 2024 they're going to go to an eight-game conference schedule in SEC football. But they're going to get rid of divisions. So that means that, well, I don't know the divisions off the top of my head for SEC in terms of who's in which one, but having eight conference games means you're going to have one rival and then seven games that are on a rotating basis. But now you don't have to worry about conference uh, division affiliation. It's just going to happen where I think you're going to play everybody home and away twice in a four-game span, uh, four-year span, sorry. It's getting late, and I'm tired. <laughs> but, I mean, this, is, this has been all the talk about SEC football. It's like, oh, my gosh, are they going to go to, you know, are they going to 10, are they going to eight-game schedule? Are they going to go to nine-game conference schedule? They decided for the 24 season, when Texas and Oklahoma join, it's going to be eight conference games and four non-conference games. How that changes anything, that's the year that the 12-team playoff goes into effect. It'll give teams, I guess, more of a way to build their resume for the 12-team playoff. I don't know. We have to see how it plays. I mean, they play an eight-game schedule right now, so I don't see what is going to be too different about it, but it's the SEC. You know? Like, they, they run the show. They are the show in college football. There's no other conference that's close. They've dominated with all their national champions. They've dominated in terms of money, how much revenue they bring in. They are dominating. They're leaving SEC, They're leaving CBS after this upcoming season, the 23-24 season, because they signed a bazillion-dollar contract uh, with ESPN-ABC. So there won't be that Saturday afternoon game on CBS with Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson anymore after this year. So... I don't know where Gary Danielson's going. I think he's an excellent, excellent color analyst for college football. Love listening to him. I know he drives some SEC fans crazy, but I don't know what they're listening to. I think he's excellent. But I don't know if, he, if he's going to go to a new network or what. But that's what we got coming up um, in the SEC. 
What else is going on in the world of sports? Well, um, I think that's pretty much it that we'll cover right now. I said this, like I said, this is going to be a shorter show. I just don't have as much to talk about. I spent as much time as I could on the NBA Finals. Game two was until Sunday, so Miami will go back to the drawing board. They'll look at things that they did wrong, probably play a little more zone because they did not handle the pick and roll well at all from what I remember watching. <clears throat> and I think Eric Spolstra will have his team ready on Sunday. So you get two days off. And let's face it, this team is pretty tired. They just came off a seven-game series Monday night. Denver's been sitting around for 10 days. Doesn't mean that's why they won, because if Miami would have won, you could be like, wow, Denver was rusty for sitting for 10 days. So I think that right now we're looking at Miami has to win game two, I think, to win this series. Because even though you'd be behind 0-2 and it's possible to come back from an 0-2 deficit in an NBA series, I think with this Miami team, the one thing that I did notice last night and I said it before the series, is Denver is just too big. They started playing bully ball with Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon, just dumping the ball to them at the block and having them go to town on smaller guys. The only way to combat that, because Miami is, you're not going to grow overnight. Miami doesn't have the height to match up with Denver. So what Miami is going to have to do is going to have to play his own. They're going to have to play more zone. I don't know if they're going to do it the whole game or what. But when they play a zone, if Nikola Jokic catches the ball, in the center of that zone defense, like right at the free throw line, it's church uh, for the Heat. It could be he's either going to make a shot or he's going to dish it to the right guy. It's just it's so difficult uh, to guard this team because Nikola Jokic literally finds the open man on every play. You heard Jeff Van Gundy say it in the third quarter. Nikola Jokic has made the right move and the right play every time he's touched the ball this game. He's never made the wrong look. He's never made a bad pass this game. He doesn't. He doesn't screw up. Doesn't screw up. Always makes the right play. Always makes the heady play. It's just like, what do you do? The answer is nothing. You cannot do anything to stop Nikola Jokic. You just have to hope he's off his game for four out of seven times. And the way he's playing in this postseason, that ain't happening. He's going to win. If they, win the, if they win the NBA Finals, he's going to be the Finals MVP. He was the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. He should have been the regular season MVP. He's the best player in the league right now, hands down. Nikola Jokic is the best player in the NBA right now and the most valuable to his team, that's for sure. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe. It is the most important thing that you can do for this podcast. Pass it along to your friends as well. We'll be back on Monday. I don't know how much information I'll have then in the world of sports. We'll talk about, well, Sunday night's game two. So we'll have we'll definitely spend some time talking on Monday about Sunday night's game two and see if the Heat can actually pull one out and, and get a victory in this series. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.